Hey everybody, just one note before we start the podcast today. This is Brad Roland, the host of Locked on Hawks podcast, and I am actually out of pocket unexpectedly um, due to family emergency of some sorts. All is okay at this point in time, but I wanted to pass that along to you because the audio quality is not quite up to my normal standard on this podcast, and I am uh, still traveling unexpectedly. So keep that in mind. Hopefully you will forgive this one, and uh, the quality is good enough to listen to, to be sure, but I wanted to just put that out there at the top, and I'll be back at home, hopefully in the near future, and uh, we'll be back to our recording setup so uh, as usual. But anyway, hopefully that makes sense, and enjoy the podcast. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1089 of the Locked On Hawks Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And thank you, as always, for making the Locked On Hawks Podcast your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today's podcast will focus on what became a close-fought loss for the Hawks at home against the Cavs in the preseason opener at home for Atlanta, 99-96. A very competitive game, honestly. Um, Some pretty ugly moments in this game, to be sure, on both sides. Offensively, it was a challenge, notably in the first half on both sides, but some interesting stuff to talk about, and we'll start off by going over who played and who did it at the top of the game. Um, Also, some thoughts from Nate McMillan in pregame as well, but injury report stuff, as I talked about last night, um, Kevin Herter was off the injury report, played a bunch in this game. We'll come back to him later on. Um, DeAndre Hunter was listed as probable. He ended up playing for the first time since the Knicks series. Um, Trey Young was doubtful to play, and uh, no one thought he was going to play in this game. He did not play. He was in street close at um, courtside. Bogdanovich was out for rest, as well as Capella and Okongwu staying out of the lineup for their um, respective uh, rehab processes. And then actually, McMillan said before the game that Gallinari and Solomon Hill would both miss the game due to rest. Um, He's been saying for three or four days now that Monday was going to be about the veterans and Wednesday more about the young guys. He didn't necessarily follow that all the way through, but I think just uh, basically resting Gallinari and Solomon Hill and also Lou Williams not playing in this game. That's three guys who do not really need to play all these preseason games. So taking them out of the equation made it a little bit easier to play everybody else in this contest, and that ended up being the case in this spot. They ended up starting DeLon Wright in place of Trey Young. Um, He played considerable minutes as long as, uh, as, sorry, as well as Sharif Cooper in the second half and some Skylar Mays on the ball at times as well. Um, the other big, uh, I would say, notable thing from pregame was that McMillan was actually asked about DeLon Wright and the versatility of him. He talked about potentially switching more defensively this season for the Hawks. Obviously, we're not going to show too much in the preseason, um, just stra- strategy-wise, because the Hawks uh, have high aspirations this year. But Wright does provide a switchability option defensively. He's a, he's a legitimate 6'4", 6'5", a big physical guard. And McMillan even said, sort of unprompted, that last year they really couldn't switch as much because they were playing Trey Young and Lou Williams in that spot. And clearly Trey is the face of the franchise, the best player on the team. But there, there would be, definitely be minutes this year where you can switch a little bit more on the second unit. And they have a bunch of pieces that can switch. You know, John Collins, you have Jalen Johnson, Hunter and Reddish, of course. Even Herter and Bogdanovich is pretty strong. Um, so the only guys you know that really would have trouble switching would be like your Capella types as well as these small guards. So uh, some flexibility there that uh, McMillan talked about in the pregame that I always wanted to pass along to everybody on the podcast today. Um, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this particular contest, uh, as well as some thoughts on the individual players from this game, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, and the first of which is Sweatblock. 
There are a few things in life that just are not any fun to talk about, and one of them is excessive sweating. It's not fun for anyone to sweat through their shirt for no reason. I'm sure we've all dealt with this at some point in time, and while there are definitely bigger problems in the world, it can certainly feel like a big deal when it happens in the moment. And that's why you should check out Sweatblock and Iperspirant Wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You can simply apply it at night before you go to bed, and then after you go to bed, the next morning you can wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying at all about sweat. Guaranteed. Sweatblock is doctor-created and doctor-recommended, and it works for up to seven days per use. There is also, by the way, a dry shirt guarantee, and if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. It's manufactured in the USA. Sweatblock has a bestseller on Amazon and other places for the past decade. I know it might sound too good to be true, but it absolutely works. You can wear what you want to wear with confidence, and it really is an absolute must-have. If you or someone you know and love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock right now. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or check it out at a CVS near you right now. One more time, that is promo code locked on at sweatblock.com for 20% off. Promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. All right, we'll dive into the game itself here at the top of this particular contest. And again, it was back and forth the entire way, pretty competitive, but the first half uglier than the second half, and it was a preseason feel, we'll say before halftime. The Hawks had some steals early on, some pretty good activity defensively, and generally, I will say this um, as a positive to start off with, the Hawks were good defensively in this game. Obviously, the Cavs are not the greatest offensive team in the world. They were careless with the ball. They have some spacing issues, etc. So not the most difficult matchup for Atlanta, but they definitely were better and more attentive defensively in this game, um, sort of night and day, I would say, compared to Monday, where they were uh, pretty lackadaisical and pretty bad, I thought, and said as much in the podcast. They were better in this game, even when adjusting for opponents. Um, at any rate, though, uh, Kevin Herter returned in this game. That's one guy to talk about at the top. Uh, he actually missed his first three, but it was very, very hot otherwise in the first half. Made a second one for Atlanta's first basket. I thought both Herter and the other Hunter looked fine athletically to me out of the gate and really the entire way. Um, Hunter had some, had some nice passes, I thought, as a uh, secondary creator on the ball. Um, Gorgie Jenkins, sort of a one-dribble pull-up jumper, going to his left, beat the shot clock, and then also had a run-out and sort of a, uh, a nice dump-off pass in transition. I thought Jang was much better in this game, by the way, than he was on Monday. Um, uh, he was talked about, you know, one of those guys that might need to be playing himself into shape a little bit by McMillan after the game, and I thought he was uh, much more spry, active, and I think maybe the, the slower pace without Trey Young in the lineup may have, might have helped Gorgie Jang in this game. He's not the most fleet-of-foot guy necessarily, so I thought he was more comfortable and with a little bit slower pace overall. Um, Cam Roach had a sort of up-and-down game. I thought he was the first sub for the Hawks in this game. They actually went small at times, uh, including that first sub. They actually, He actually came in for Jang. So they played Reddish at the three with Hunter at the four and Collins going to the five, a lineup that I know Hawks fans have thought about quite some time. Um, after a timeout, um, Reddish had sort of a tough step back three that I probably didn't love him taking early on and then took another sort of pretty bad long two. He took six jumpers in the first five minutes and it's not one of the jumpers that get me um, frustrated with Cam at times and obviously he was pretty hot later in the game but we'll get into this later on but the the shot quality is more my issue. Uh, You know, Cam can obviously shoot it. It's just that coming out of the gate just flying and taking some like what I would call like star level shots like some pretty Tough, contested, fadeaway, off-balance, that kind of stuff. Not really what you would want to have uh, sort of finding his stride there. He obviously found it later on, but as you will, as we'll talk about later on, if you watch this game back, the shot quality difference was stark between first half and second half, and uh, obviously won't be as clear as that always with him making a bunch of shots when there were better shots, but if you look at the shot quality, the uh, the rhythm, the, uh, the overall you know shot selection was much better after halftime. So you know, I, I, sent, I sent a tweet out early on, I think it was in the first quarter, and I kind of mentioned the shot selection 
not being my favorite from Cam for the first five quarters. And I stand by that. Obviously, he got hot later on, and it looks a little bit silly in retrospect if you go back and look at that with no context. But um, the shot quality was much better, and he also made a bunch of shots. So there you go on that. Um, shortly after that, they went to Reddish and TLC playing forward together. It was kind of TLC at the four, honestly, because he was playing defense against Laurie Markkinen. They went pretty small with Mays and Wright in the backcourt together as well. They did bring in Jalen Johnson from there, and actually went to sort of a weird lineup on the second unit. Um, pretty sure of Cooper who played more like late third, early fourth quarter. They, they were playing Mays with Reddish and Jalen Johnson together a lot on that second unit. And it was kind of came with the ball or, or Mays, but um, not a whole lot of uh, quality looks from that unit really in both, in both halves with that group. Um, kind of a struggling offensive unit overall. They gave some minutes to Johnny Hamilton as well was with a much more expanded rotation across the board. But the Hawks in the first half shot 32% in the first quarter, I should say. Shot 32% from the floor. The Cats had six turnovers in the, in the first quarter. Uh, the two teams combined to score 40 points in the first period. Uh, some pretty hideous basketball overall. The Hawks played 10 guys. The only guys, the only guy that I would uh, I was surprised that didn't play in the first quarter was Sharif Cooper, but he played later on. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, second quarter was better and more active from Atlanta. Shots weren't really falling. I will say I thought Reddish was very active um, defensively with some flash plays. Had a great trap near the, near the uh, sideline early in the second quarter to force a turnover. I thought he was just better activity-wise overall on offense as well. You know, more active off the ball. Had a big dunk in the lane. Um, it was good to see him finish that. So I thought he was notably better in the second quarter despite uh, the jump shooting not really arriving until the second half. I thought Herter was very, very good and very sharp. Hit a nice long pull-up too. Um, actually hit a, it was pretty aggressive in hunting his shot overall. He was the only guy, though, making shots in the first half. The non-Herter members of the Hawks opened the game 8 of 35 from the floor, which is like 20-ish percent. Uh, a little bit lower, a little bit higher on that, not, not too much higher. Um, Reddish was 2 of 10 at one point. Uh, Johnson and Mays combined to miss their first 10 shots combined. So some pretty ugly stuff at times. Um, Ken got a technical foul late in, late in the half after he was called for traveling on a kind of a weird play, and there was some words exchanged there. But um, for the entire half, the Hawks shot 33% from the floor and 2 of 15 from three. So pretty ugly. 26% for the non-herder guys in the first half with nine turnovers overall as well. Um, they scored less than 0.8 points per possession against a pretty bad Cavs defense. And obviously, it's an exhibition game. I'm not really too worked up about this, but they were pretty bad offensively before halftime. Um, defensively, as I said before, they were pretty active and pretty good. They forced 14 first-half turnovers. That was not exactly a fluke. Again, some help from the Cavs, but still some pretty good defense overall. And that kind of allowed them to hang around and stay in the game despite their um, pretty shaky offense before halftime. Um, before we get to the second half and some more takeaways from this particular contest on Wednesday, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Built Bar. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good, and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty, and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein. The calorie range is 130 to 180. They only have four or five grams of sugar, and they only have four or five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board. They're all tasty, 
and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, you're 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. Bet Online is back and better than ever. All eyes right now are on the gridiron with football teams across the country back on the field starting another season. And as always, Bet Online is the number one spot for all the professional and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more props, odds, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for all things football. Head to the website right now or use mobile device time today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That is double, yes, double, your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. That is promo code NFL100 to have that double your initial deposit. For football, basketball, boxing, and all of your favorite casino games, as well as golf, tennis, baseball, MMA, etc. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for you right now and throughout the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and the second half, as I said before, was much better. The Hawks scored 55 points after halftime. That was uh, considerably more active offensively and a little bit more efficient as well. There was one little red flag, not a huge thing, but DeLon Wright was ruled out during halftime with a left ankle tweak, not even a sprain or anything, just a tweak. Um, obviously, uh, can, you know, some caution to be expressed there with the preseason game, so not too worrisome. I don't think it looked too bad on the replay that uh, they were showing on the broadcast. Um, they started Scott Mays at the point in his place. They actually started TLC in the second half, with Kevin, um, Kevin Herter still active and playing. Um, I was surprised by that. I actually thought Herter might be done for the day, but they actually, McMillan said after the game, he was trying to stagger some lineups, having Herter play with Reddish a little bit off the bench, having more punch on the second unit, which ended up obviously working pretty well, and Herter kept playing too. Um, actually ran a nice action on the first possession with Hunter hitting a uh, top of the key three uh, to open the third quarter. And they brought in Herter and actually played him basically at the point when he came back in in the third quarter for a little, a little while longer. Um, obviously, he's going to be gearing up for that, for that reserve role this year, so a good idea to have him sort of be a little bit, um, you know, back in the place that he'll probably be playing most of his minutes in this season. And actually, uh, he, he had a pretty, uh, pretty nice shot clock beating three um, after he came back in in the third quarter. Defensively, they were pretty active still. The Cavs had 18 turnovers with about six minutes to go in the third quarter, so, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of steals, a lot of deflections, etc. Um, Cam, though, finally got hot, as I mentioned in the first half. The shot quality was definitely much different. The first one was a transition um, shot. It was on a pull-up, but it was much more like going to the basket in rhythm. Not the best shot in the world, probably quality-wise, but one he made. And then the second one, was it was very much in rhythm as a trailer. He caught it, took one step, stepped into it, fire on balance. It was a good-looking shot. And the third one was also in good rhythm on the right wing. Not a whole lot of like whirling and dribbling on that one, just kind of a rhythm shot. And those three were pretty, uh, obviously, good-looking shots. And he's definitely capable of going on these explosions, as he has in the past, even when his numbers are not looking good, he'll have these quarters, these halves where he's really hot. But I thought it was, again, stark to watch the shot, you know, sort of the balance, the, um, the contests, all that stuff from the first quarter, to, sorry, from the first half to the second half. It was much different and obviously won't always be that clear because he was, you know, red hot in that third quarter. But I thought it was notable. He actually had 11 of the last 13 points for the Hawks in the third quarter. Also, a near incredible highlight late in the third quarter with Reddish having a crazy impressive steal um, as he is uh, wont to do. He's very active in passing lanes and threw this like long fling pass to Kevin Herter who caught it in rhythm. Kind of had to hurry a little bit, but it was a leaner at the buzzer. He missed it off the glass. It would have been a very wild highlight. You can tell that uh, I think he'll probably get some, hit, some heat for that in the locker room. That was an awesome play. It would be upstage later on anyway with John Collins. We'll get to that in a second, I promise. But that was the end of the third quarter. It was much better for the Hawks in that period offensively. 
Um, I was a little bit surprised that we learned from Nate McMillan later on that he was uh, really trying to push some guys to play more minutes in this game. He didn't really give a minutes cap pre- in the pregame, um, but there was not a whole lot of like pedaling off in this game. They were trying all the way to the end. They did pull Collins with a few minutes to go, but there were some, there were some regulars playing the entire fourth quarter for the most part. Um, and you know, Nate's talked about conditioning quite a bit, and he was definitely pushing that as a focus late in the game with guys who wanted to just get out there and have them play and. He talks about conditioning as a team-wide thing multiple times in the postgame. He's not quite happy with where they are right now, which, you know, there's some time still, you know, two-plus weeks to get in for the opener, but they have, that's definitely a focus for McMillan in his public comments. At any rate, it was Herter with Reddish and Jang to open the fourth quarter with, with Sharif Cooper coming in, and then Collins came in with about nine minutes to go. I thought he might be done at that point, but he played some more, and then Hunter came back in as well after a, a sort of a short stint off on the bench to uh, play a lot in crunch time as well. I thought Cooper was very, very good in this game. He didn't play until the second half um, and definitely was in sort of a secondary role um, until when he came in. You know, I was not even sure he was going to come in. Was, that was how long it was uh, to wait. But he played 17 minutes, um, I think maybe the last 17 minutes or something close to that. I'm not sure if he even came out of the game once he came in. But he had nine points, five assists. He was active defensively. Like He's obviously small and not great defensively, but I thought he was pretty engaged, which was good to see and uh, made some good decisions overall, just ran the team effectively. And then, we'll get to it now, uh, the highlight of the night in the NBA and the highlight of the preseason probably in the entire NBA, that's how impressive this dunk was, the John Collins dunk. If you've not seen it already, uh, stop what you're doing right now, uh, pause the podcast, Google this, and I'm sure you'll find it, find it on Twitter or something. John Collins had a monster dunk. It was pretty preposterous on top of Jared Allen in the fourth quarter of this game. Out of an inbounds, um, Sharif Cooper turns the corner, gets in the paint, puts it up. Not the greatest pass from Sharif. I mean, he put it up there where I guess Collins could get it, but Collins has this massive catch radius, goes up, grabs it. Hung, I would say he hung in the air for absolutely ever. And then throws down this like just crazy dunk on top of Allen. The, the still throws were great. Um, the angle that he was on was just ridiculous. And of course, John is an upper tier finisher to say the least, but uh, he hung in the air forever. It was just an impressive looking thing. The bench went crazy. There was a great shot of Kevin Herter, who's actually on the floor playing in the corner. He's kind of just throws his hands up in the air, like just out of, out of reaction. Like everyone was amazed by that. I mean, the broadcast, Dominique was going crazy, just kind of laughing uncontrollably. It made the rounds on Twitter. Uh, that was an all-timer. I'm not going to always talk about the highlights and stuff like in that way on this podcast, but that was one that um, if you've seen more than five plays better than that in the NBA season, I'll be surprised. That's the kind of level that we're at with that dunk by John Collins. So a monster and certainly worth uh, watching if you've not already seen it at this point in time or just watching it again. It was a lot of fun. At any rate, the Hawks actually took the lead with about six minutes to go up three and the Cavs scored the next 12 points. Uh, clearly, it's an exhibition game. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I'm not going to tell you that this game quote-unquote mattered a ton, but they were trying and the Cavs made their one big run that sort of allowed them to win this game. The Hawks did, though, come all the way back. They were pushing it. Hunter had a, had a three late on in the, uh, to get it back down to four. Uh, neither team scored for about 90 seconds. And then Gorky Jang actually had a three on a catch and shoot in the left wing to go back without doubt, only one with about a minute and a half to go. Um, from there, it was back and forth, back and forth. There was a funny moment where Nate McMillan challenged. It was a very obviously the wrong call, so I'm not, I'm not mad at him for challenging. They're down by one. It was an out-of-bounds call. But I'm not going to make too much out of this, but I thought it was actually pretty cool to see. Um, Trey Young, when the call was made on the floor, it was pretty clearly wrong. Trey, in street clothes, popped up and was pretty irate, like furious, angry, uh, arguing, with the, arguing with the officials about this. And, you know, this is a preseason game. Great, it's the final minute, but... 
He's very competitive. You know, anyone that tries to tell you that Trey Young is not a winner or something like that, he really enjoys winning. And I think that was a pretty cool moment, obviously understated and something maybe only I noticed. I tweeted about it. But, you know, Trey, your leader is up there. He's engaged with a minute to go. And arguing a call like that in the preseason game is uh, pretty cool to see in some in some ways. At any rate, the call was overturned. The Hawks got the ball back. They didn't score. I actually thought that Hunter got fouled. It was uncalled. Who cares? But that's what happened. Um, they had to foul there. They actually were down by three, had, the, had a chance to tie it. Got a pretty good look for Cam Reddish, actually, who had been hot in the second half. Just missed it. Just didn't fall. It was a pretty good-looking shot. It was it was on reasonable balance at the top of the key. Just missed it. They would have tied it, and that was the end of that. They actually were closing with Cooper, TLC, Hunter, Jalen Johnson, and Gorgie Jang once Collins came out um, before that, before Cam came back in. So lots of minutes, though. And I'll go here before we get out of here on the podcast, talk about the minutes and sort of the overall stuff from this game. But Gorgie Jang played 31 minutes. Uh, that's a lot for a preseason game. Uh, granted, the Cavs played even more. I'm not really sure what their plan was with some of their main guys. Like Sexton and Garland played 33, 36 minutes individually. Those are their, those are their best players. Gorgie played 31. Um, that's just a lot of minutes for him. But, you know, Herder, 26 in his first game in a long time after an ankle procedure. Hunter hasn't played since the Knicks series, but 26 minutes. Collins, 25 minutes. Reddish, 28 minutes. So they're obviously pushing a little bit. McMillan kind of made a joke, but I'm not even sure he was joking. Then he wanted to play the guys some more, and he's going to play them until he got kind of got yelled at by the bench, is the way that he said it. I'm not sure if the bench means assistance or the training staff, but it was kind of a funny moment from Nate in the post in the post game. But he played guys a lot, I would say. For a preseason game. Obviously, you'll have sort of a warm-up-ish game on Saturday in Memphis, and then they actually have their full... I mean, he's talked about this multiple times now. Nate's going to use that last game at home next week as sort of the tune-up game. So, you know, I'm not sure if Trey will be back by then, but or maybe Capella, but everybody else will probably play more real minutes in that point in time. But for tonight, it was actually more than I thought in terms of minutes for guys up and down the roster. Um, if you're newest to the podcast, I usually go through each player on the roster quickly and talk about what they did positives and negatives. I won't do that in, in sort of in its full extent here at preseason game, but I will make some notes about some guys quickly here. Um, I thought, again, I thought Sharif is really good. Nine points, five assists for him in 17 minutes, four, six on the floor, his own, his only three. He was under control, looked to be comfortable. I mean, obviously I don't want to make too much out of it, but I think, I think Cooper looked the part, you know, to the point where there was probably some overreactions on my Twitter feed. I saw some people like calling for him to be the backup now uh, ahead of Delon Wright and Lou Williams. I would not go that far. Obviously I am a big fan of Cooper. I thought that was a ridiculous draft value for the Hawks, but still he's a, he's a rookie. He's going to be behind those guys for a while, but it was still good to see him play well. In this game, I thought Jalen Johnson had some highs and lows, you know, shot wise. He was three of 11. He was aggressive, though. I liked him hunting a shot a little bit. He had, he had three assists and five rebounds. I thought he was at least um, under control. I thought in the first half, though, he was a little bit over his skis at times, being just kind of looked like a rookie. Obviously, some nice flashes, though, some pretty talented guy. Obviously, he's a very talented guy, but um, sort of uneven as well. I would describe his performance in this game. Um, Cam Reddish, uh, 20 points off the bench, obviously speaks for itself. Um, wasn't like Wholly efficient, 18 shooting possessions is pretty decent, nothing crazy, but was four away from three. That's the line once, had five steals though, and that's his bread and butter. You know, Cam is definitely better defensively than offensively at this point in time, but the steals, he was so active in the passing lanes. He actually was a game worst, minus 15. I'm not sure how, how effective that is. I think he was pretty bad in the first half offensively, but the second half obviously shot them back into it in some respects in the third quarter, and I thought it was an up-and-down game, but obviously the highs were high on both ends of the floor, and defensively he was pretty good the entire way with the activity and his uh, preternatural ability to sort of repassing lanes and get deflections. Um, to the starters, uh, Kevin Herter I thought played very well. 15 points, 4 rebounds, had an assist, a steal, and a block. It was plus 12. Um, 10 shots, um, 6 of 10, 3 or 4 from, the, from, from 3. 
I thought he looked good. Uh, obviously, uh, after the game, Kevin talked about how he's not like 100% back with the ankle, but no pain, just kind of getting it back in shape, back into conditioning, a little bit stronger. And that's been their plan all along. I think he used the word, I think he used the 95% term. I thought he looked good, though. Like, no drawbacks. I thought he looked comfortable. If you didn't know he was in, uh, he had been injured over the offseason, you wouldn't have known watching this game. So that was obviously a pretty strong debut for Herter. I thought, again, Gorgie Jang was much better. Not over the numbers, but he did have a double-double, 13-11, and 11, with six assists for Gorgie Jang. Five turnovers, though, was a lot, actually, for him. But I thought he was much more um, physical, much more active defensively, just a little bit more comfortable. I'm not sure if he was just having an off night on Monday, but not his best. Wednesday, I think he was uh, he was very good tonight. So it's good to see from him. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was definitely rusty. Um, not a huge surprise. He's not played a basketball game since the first round of the playoffs and then had a, had a, had a procedure. So he's not really played as much basketball as a lot of these guys have. And plus, last year, was you know, he hadn't played really in about a year at this point in time in terms of like, maybe not a year, but you know, 10 months since he was actually like a full rotation player for a long time. But two or three on threes actually was 0 of 8 on twos. Some weird stuff in there. Um, but had two assisted rebounds. I think he was at least had some flashes, but not his best offensively. He'll have better nights, but good to see him just be out there and be active and look okay physically. And then Collins, of course, had the massive dunk, but a nice balance game from him all the way across He's been our best player in both games. Um, you know, I think, obviously, you know, Herder was probably challenging that today on some level on, you know, Cam in the second half. But I thought Collins overall was their best player probably in this game. Again, he was the best player on Monday almost certainly. But 14 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks. He looks ready. Uh, obviously, you know, 0 2 from 3 is like the only black mark here. But 5 9 on 2s, got the line for 5 attempts. I thought Collins looked good. And uh, obviously, the dunk will uh, steal the show in this game. So, you know, overall, uh, they were competitive. Pretty good defensively the entire game. Offensively, it was definitely a slog in this game. They actually shot better on threes than twos, which is not something you'll see every day. Um, 41% on threes and two-point percentage of 39%. So not, not a huge gap, but also 19 turnovers is way too many. So uh, Nate has some stuff to clean up for sure. I'm sure he'll enjoy teaching and instructing a little bit in the coming days. Up next for the Hawks is a Saturday night game in Memphis. I will be interested to see how they treat that one because Nate has been saying that the uh, the last game at home next week will be sort of their official tune-up. So maybe they'll have some guys not play in Memphis. I'm not sure if maybe you want to give John Collins that off. He's played in all he's played a lot of minutes in those two games. You know, Trey. We'll see what his status is. Any any concern about Trey Young's uh, um, you know contusion that he left the game with on Monday and you don't play him. There's no reason to push him whatsoever. Um, and then obviously we'll see about Bogdanovich came back um, you know, and played well in the first game. At least looked good. I'm not sure he played well, but it looked at least health, healthy and all that stuff. Missed tonight's game. So we'll see how they handle that game on Saturday in Memphis. But that's the next, that's the next game. As a programming note, that'll be the last show. Um, that'll be the next show that I do. Uh, I usually would do a show for Friday morning, but I am uh, traveling due to family emergency at this point in time. I wasn't planning to be, so that will be the fifth show of the week. Though still a full week of content and a Saturday night show. You know, usually I would not record on Saturday nights into Sunday. It's kind of the dead zone. But when the Hawks play a game on Saturday, I will always do a recap of some sort at some point, and I'll be coming on Saturday nights after the game in Memphis. So. A little bit later, I think the game's at 8 o'clock on, the, on Saturday, Eastern Time. It's a game in the Central Time Zone. So, plenty to get to, but hopefully you guys enjoy the full week of, pod, of podcast content. Four shows on the feed, including, uh, and also last week, a two-part dive with uh, Glenn Willis is still very much relevant at this point in time. So, plenty to listen to on the podcast. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends about the show as well. Leave five-star feedback. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And we'll see you, barring a surprise of some sort or a big move or something like that, uh, barring all that, we'll see you after the game on Saturday night.